This is the Omnichannel Marketer, the show where we get real about what it takes to build a brand, create a seamless omnichannel experience, and drive customer LTV across D2C, Amazon, and retail. I'm Kate Stevens, the CEO of Bridge. Join me for unfiltered conversations from the trenches of e-commerce. We'll unpack strategy and leave you with tactical advice you can use today to drive your business forward. Let's rock and roll. Hi, everyone. This is Kate Stevens. Welcome back to another episode of the Omnichannel Marketer. Today, I have Phil Jamison, VP, Head of Sales for North America at Beatbox Beverages, and we are so excited to learn more from him. Hi, Phil. How are you? I'm great. How are you today? I'm doing awesome. So why don't we just start with your personal background? You know, what brought you to this role at Beatbox? Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. So I've been in the industry or I've been selling a lot of things for a lot of years, about 30 years. Most of that has been in the beer industry specifically. About two years ago, I was consulting for some different craft breweries across the U.S., and I got a phone call from an ex-AB employee who I didn't know, but he had worked with people that I had worked with. And it's a funny story because he called me up and said, hey, we'd really like to talk to you about coming on to Beatbox Beverages. And I'm like, what's Beatbox Beverages? And, uh, you know, and I tell this story and I'll make it quick, but I laugh about it because I, I sat down and I said, because he was an ex-AB employee and a friend of a friend, I said, okay, I'll listen. But I remember I was on vacation and I was in a hotel room and I told my wife, I said, hey, I'm going to go on this interview. I'll probably be done really quick because I have no interest in this company. And I'm sure it's probably just nothing. And and she's like, okay, well, I'll see you in an hour. And she left the room and hotel him to go do some things. And two hours later, I'm still talking to the person who called me. And I was like, piqued my interest because I had no idea what a party punch was at the time. And most people in the United States didn't. And I've been selling beer forever and sat down just to vet it and at this time in my career, I've, I've gone down a lot of rabbit holes. And so I vetted it and I said, hey, I'd like to meet with the owners and co-founders in person. So I was in Austin on a consulting job and was able to meet with them at their home where they live in Austin. And we went out for a drink and sat down and talked. And again, left there two hours later thinking, wow, they have something special and they're really special people, unlike most people that I've dealt with in the industry. So I even vetted them one more time for another month, came back and then I jumped on the party punch bandwagon and uh, this was uh, 2021 and I'm having the most fun I've had in probably 20 years. I love that. And so for those of us who are less familiar, what is party punch? What is beatbox as a brand? Yeah. So beatbox actually has been around for a long time, probably close to 10 years. Uh, it was on Shark Tank and Mark Cuban at the time invested the most money ever in the brand. Now I was not on Shark Tank, obviously I wasn't with him yet, but the founders, Justin, Amy and Brad, they pitched the brand. And Mark gave them a million dollars at the time for the brand, which was huge. They launched the brand. They put it out in these five liter boxes. And within a few years, or they had immediately ramped up and got distribution because right place, right time, there was a gentleman who was head Southern Glacier Wine and Spirits. And he was also an alumni at University of Texas and saw them at a talk. And uh, he t- came up and talked to him, got him distribution almost instantly across the U.S. These five liter boxes, they pushed them. They were doing the best they could. And then it started to slow down. And the, the product just wasn't meeting. It was a great liquid, but the vessel wasn't expanding as much as they wanted. And then they had wine distributors. And that was struggling. Fast forward in 2017, they introduced a single serve. And it, what it is, it's uh, technically, it's called a party punch. The U.S. government classifies it as wine-based because it uh, comes from the base alcohol as a fermented fruit where we use oranges. 
But, you know, nobody's going to shop for a Chardonnay and picking up a, a pink lemonade. We really define the category as party punch. And even Forbes magazine last year wrote an article on us and said we were one of three brands that found white space in the alcohol. And when they say flattery is, is one of the best compliments, Gallo Wine just launched a direct knockoff of us. It literally looks like us with the same names. And obviously they're a behemoth company. But Party Punch is a flavored alcoholic beverage, 11%, comes in a 16 ounce Tetra box, 500 milliliter. It's non-carbonated, low calorie in consumption compared to most alcohol drinks. And uh, it can be served over ice, frozen, mixed with your favorite juice. Really, I call it an omni beverage because people, I think, drink it probably five, six different ways. And I think that's part of the success of it. So that's why what it is. It's an 11% party punch. I love that you call it an Omni beverage. Obviously, the name of this podcast is the Omni Channel Marketer. <laughs> Segwaying into that, you know, what is the state of the brand right now? You know, what, you know, how big is it? What does distribution currently look like? Yeah. So I tell people in the if they're getting into the beverage industry, and I talk to a lot of people because I've been around for a while and been very blessed to have mentors and people that brought me into the industry. But the first thing you have to have is a great product because you can have the best marketing in the world, but if your product's bad, they'll try it once and never come back. So we started, well, in 2017, they introduced the single serve and they started to move to a beer distribution network. Now, the difference of that is, and just for anybody on the call who's not listening or doesn't know about this, excuse me, you have the wine and spirits house that really focus on your liquor and your true wines. And it's a different model than your beer distributors. Your beer distributors sell Bud Miller, Coors, Corona. They're more street level. They have merchandisers that go in the stores on a regular basis. They merchandise and they go all the way down from the independence liquor stores on the corner, all the way up to the big grocery stores. And the service model is different. Liquors and spirits houses don't really go down to that lower level, independent liquor store. And they traditionally don't have as many merchandisers on the street. And a merchandiser is somebody that goes in after the order's there, fills the shelf, builds the displays. The beer distributors have a much heavier, robust team that does that on a local street level. So Beatbox is with beer distributors across the U.S. We're with 48, we're in 48 states with 310 warehouses presently selling our products. The great thing about Beatbox is our distribution network. Our beer network is extremely strong and really has catapulted us. So when they first started with the first beer distributor in Georgia, they started expanding. But that first month that they tested a beer distributor versus a liquor spirit house, sales increased five times. And since then, we've never looked back. In 2019, the company did $4 million in revenue. We're on track this year and projected to do $80 million this year in 2023. So we really are going to go from about 4 million. Last year, we did 41 million. So between 2019 to 2023, we'll go from 4 million to 80 million in revenue. And uh, it's been a fun story. And I directly relate that to our team, our marketing, and our product and the founders. You know, break those down a little bit more for me because sounds like the product's amazing and you captured a white space. So that created this amazing opportunity. You know, talk to me more about how those other components have come together to create this, you know, really impressive growth. I think the first thing that's important is don't try to be something that you're not. So our product is a specific. We are out there. We're a party punch. It's about having a good time. You know, Red Bull gives you wings. We say beatbox brings the party. And, and it's substantiated through our, our data. We just completed a huge nationwide research of our consumers. And what we found was 60% female, 40% male, 55% people of color demographic. We found 25% of those people are parents. 
And it was really interesting. So, but our primary consumer, 21 to 30 year olds that really like to go have fun and be around groups. So it was two factors that really came back on that because it's talking about the product first and I'll lead into the marketing and the distribution. But 40% of those consumers we found drink at home in groups, you know, so they like, if they're going to be at home, they're like, you know, home parties, you know, people spend a lot more time at home with the COVID issue and, you know, definitely are they're starting to get back out, but they haven't been. So the other piece we found is that they like to do it in group settings. So concerts, we do really well with it, with at concerts, large group settings, they do really well. And we knew that product is our core drinker. And so we have these fun products with great flavors and great taste. And therefore, we're not trying to go out and, and try to capture the, the high-end wine drinker or the high-end spirits drinker or even the low-end. We're trying to say, like, if you're 21 to 30, we don't care who you are. We have a product that we really has fallen into kind of the ready-to-drink cocktail uh, category. But we have a product that you can mix. You can drink it any way you like. Like I said, it's an omni-beverage. And so what we saw is we had that great product. So we started marketing to that product. And our social media has been phenomenal. We saw last year our spike in growth as a percentage was one of the highest in the alcohol industries. And we had, first of all, one thing is we had 1.3 million people go on our website and look for our product. They actually had to put in their address and try to find it. So that's one great thing. You know, people are looking for and your marketing's working. When you get 1.3 million people literally have to sit down and type their address in. Those are new consumers because if you know where to buy it, you don't need to put your address in and find the product. So our store church is one. Two, our responses were so much to our social media that we had to hire two full-time people to do nothing but interact with social media. And we've created these, this social media family through all different types, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. We have a Discord channel that has 5,000 members across the U.S. and they are talking to each other all the time. It's amazing. So that's the marketing component. We've really, we figured out what the product is. We created a great product. We figured out who the people that are drinking it. And then we said, okay, let's tailor our marketing to that. There is one subset and I laugh at it because I call it the party parents. We found in our research that there was a percentage of consumers that were parents, 25%, and range range from 30 to about 45, that drink it to unwind or take it with them when they're out on the soccer fields with their kids. And because it's literally, you can twist the cap off, pour it, twist it back on and put it back in the fridge or in your cooler. You don't have to drink it all at once. And it's it doesn't lose carbonation or flavor for so it's really nice. But so there is a subset of party parents, but I would say primarily our marketing is the 21 to 30 year old people that enjoy being with large groups of people and having fun. So then you tie that into your distribution network. It's so hard. So I've scaled up a company and it had some failures as well, trying to break into the industry. And your the way it's set up all the way back to prohibition is you have these antitrust laws. And so you have a three tier system that really can enable, but can also prevent new business. And the laws, some of them are antiquated by state. So if you create a new product and it's great, and I have this new product, I'm excited. You can't just go out and sell it on your own. You can, but you're going to get very minimal interaction. You have to build a distribution network. And so one of the things that I've been fortunate with in my career, and I think Beatbox has done a great job with as a team, is we've been able to build this network. So once you get that network, then it's not done. You have to build a share of mine. What are you going to do for them? Because it's not like in the days when I started in the industry, it was the early 90s. Wholesalers would have, you know, they probably have like 10 different SKUs or 10 different brands, excuse me, and they might have 30 SKUs. 
you go to a beer wholesaler today and they have a thousand SKUs and they have probably 200 brands. And so imagine you have a set a finite number of sales reps and they have to sell all those SKUs and brands. So where it used to be enough to get into the distributor because you were one of a few and you, you could do great, you no longer can do that. You have to get in, but you have to gain share of mind. And that's where it verts back. Is your product good? Do you know who your consumer is? Do you have a great marketing program targeting consumers? And then the fourth aspect is that once you get into that, that wholesaler, which is extremely tough, making sure that you have a support mechanism and you do what you say to gain their share of mind. I call it the simplest rule in the business. You can grow your business overnight once you get to that point with a 30-second sentence by the owner or the sales manager. If they stand up in front of their group and say, this is a great product, we need to focus on this, you guys as a team need to get out there and sell it, That those few sentences in front of a full sales team, you will gain your share of mind and it's probably worth 50% growth in sales. You know, how do you get the mind share of the leader? Does that become a relationship aspect? Like, how do you get that manager to say that to a sales team? It's all relationship. You know, for all the analytics, and we use a lot of analytics, which I can talk about later. For everything that is, the business still boils down to relationships in this industry. Whether it's liquor, wine, spirits, beer, party punch, you have to have those relationships. And if you don't have them, you have to figure out a way to, to get in. The hardest part sometimes is just getting in the door because you have these principals and sales managers that have so many people knocking on their door, their existing brands, new brands that are trying to come in. And so there's a lot of gatekeepers. So you have to know which gatekeeper to get past. But really at the end of the day, it's still a very much relationship business. And that relationship, I've broken down more doors quicker because of my relationships over the 30 years that I've been working in the industry pretty much. If you're a new person, my advice to somebody new who's just getting into it is a couple things. Start slow, build your plan. If you don't have those relationships, make sure you have key metrics that you can take to the wholesaler that tell them why you're different. It can't just be my product's the best or the colors are the best or everyone, my mom tells me it's the best flavor. You know, it, it's, you really have to, because everybody's saying that, sustainable, measurable metrics and differences on why you're better. And it has to be everything from, I have a high profit margin. I have a marketing plan that specifically is geocoded to target uh, your market. I have five people in the market that are going to help your team sell the product. You have to create some type of opportunity for them to see what the difference is. And it's not easy. It's quick to say, hard to do, but it's still, it goes back. When you do that, you can build those relationships and trust. And once you build that trust, it expands because in our business, just like in anything, consumers and people want to go to something that they know is already successful. It's just human nature. You want to gravitate. One of the biggest selling points is like your wholesaler next to you in the next state is selling, you know, 200,000 cases. And they're like, really? I want to be part of that. It's the FOMO, fear of missing out. You know, mm. that's one of the best things. So I tell people that are getting into the industry, start small and build your clientele and build your trust. Gosh, it all comes down to, no, that was like so insightful. And I'm just laughing because that FOMO really transverses industries and categories. We're a venture-backed company and founders talk all the time about how creating FOMO with investors becomes a dynamic as well. So seems to be, you know, also a dynamic as you're getting into uh, those distributors. So you mentioned consumers are going to your website to search your product. Can they buy Beatbox online or, you know, are they only buying in store? So we have a minimal amount. We only sell our variety packs online and that they're, they're at a higher cost 
than if you buy it at the store. There are different legalities in different states, but in addition to that, some of our contracts, depending on the state and the wholesaler, we have exclusivity contracts. Some people write in, you can sell online. There are some areas you cannot sell online because they have exclusivity and these wholesalers are like, hey, if you're selling online, you're taking away from me. So we do sell online and most places nationally, you can get our variety packs online it is a little higher margin. So you're paying for that free serve or the service of you know, having it shipped to you, excuse me, versus you will get a better price at the grocery store or liquor store or your local bodega. But the, so the, ma- the vast majority of sales are really from those distributors, you know, from the... Yeah. I would say 99% are from mm. directly from the distributors to the retail. Okay. And then the website serves as a branding tool primarily. Yes, absolutely. It's a branding tool and consumer engagement. And then it gives the opportunity, like you said, the product search. So the, are the so they can literally go on, you put in your code, your zip code, excuse me, your address, and it'll pop up your top five stores near you that you can go buy the product. The last time we chatted, we were talking about Beatbox's growth has been incredible, but you mentioned something around like the penetration you currently have and why that creates such an opportunity. Could you elaborate on that for, you know, everyone's benefit? Absolutely. So one of the things, and it's easy to get hung up if you have a brand and it's selling and taking off real quick, everyone gets excited and, you know, and says, oh, we're doing great. We're doing great. But really, before I get excited, you really have to look at what your penetration is into the market and what the long-term opportunity is because you have to look at that. So for us at Beatbox, we love the fact that we're doubling business every year. But what we love even more is the fact that we're only at about 25% penetration into licensed accounts in the U.S. And so what that means is all of our wholesalers, you know, we have 310 warehouse locations, 48 states, but we're only in about 25% of the off-premise accounts, like stores, liquor stores, bodegas, grocery stores, supermarkets. What that means is that there's 75% we're not, if, obviously. And if you look at our growth and our rate of sale, as we've grown to the 25%, our rate of sale is still growing per store, even though we're adding more stores daily. But what excites me is there are so many stores that still don't carry us, so many places that don't even know about us still. And so when you have a brand that is growing, and, and one of the terms we use, and, and obviously the um, people like IRI and Nielsen use, is per point of distribution. And so we look at our dollars per point. So I'll give you an example. Truly, big brand, huge brand, they have distribution. They're probably, I'm going to guess, their their weight of dist- category weight of distribution, they probably are in like 90% of the stores nationwide, where we're at like 25. If you look at our per point of distribution, we're not far off from Truly. Now, we're not there in dollars because we don't have you know, 90% penetration, but we do have a high per point. So when we go to stores and retailers around the country, we say, look, here's our growth pattern. Here's what we're doing. But here's more exciting. If you look at per point of distribution, we're up here with a lot of the big brands. And so that's what gives me excitement and hope. Yeah, I love the fact that we're growing and doubling, but some markets and some brands, you can be doubling, but then you're plateaued. You're like, oh, I'm already at 80% of my penetration. We're at 25% of our penetration. And so Beatbox has a long way to go still just in the U.S. alone. That's really exciting. It sounds like there's there's so much opportunity there. And I think you're in a pretty amazing role to help, you know, realize that that opportunity. One of the things I love asking our guests is about something that they feel passionately um, about. So, you know, would love to hear that from you. Yeah. So I'm passionate about people. I I love Mm -hmm. Obviously, I love winning and I love the team aspect and I love being a, doing successful business things. One of the things that I really like that fulfills me is developing people. And it's like, 
years ago, like if you look back into historical, and I'm not going to go too, too crazy, but like if you look at the Japanese and you look at like the traditional like karate martial art, like a sensei, that sensei's whole role is to develop somebody and then they develop them so the next generation is better than them. So personally, what I like to do wherever I work, I like to make sure that my direct reports, I'm leaving them with something to make them better than me. And that's really important to me because I've, I've seen it happen already as I've through my managed people through my career. I've seen people that work for me go off and become very successful. And it's really, that's important to me because then I know I felt like as a manager, but not only to our company at the time, but to other people in their lives down the road. Because, and one of the persons I think there's two people that are pretty high up in Anheuser-Busch. And two of those people work for me as sales reps, and then they work for me as supervisors. And to see their success and their careers take off. Now, I'm not saying I was directly responsible for that. But what I'm saying is that my goal is that when they leave me, they can at least take one thing with them that's made them better and that will help them in their career. And that's what I'm passionate about is making sure not only do we win with the right people, but we carry on and give something back to our people so that they're making their next company and their next people better. I love that and totally, totally agree with everything that you're saying and you know, find that to be so gratifying as well. Moving into our lightning round, what sure. is your favorite omni-channel brand? Whew, that's tough. <laughs> I have a lot of favorite. I have favorite brands for different reasons. I will tell you like, boy, that's really tough because there's so many great <laughs> brands out there. You're stumping me with this one because I can't pick one that I just like, that's the one. There's so many great things I see with different brands, even to the standpoint of like retail branding. Like I look back and I think like Target, for example, and I look, I think what Target did with branding to refresh themselves, you know, over the last 10 years, amazing, amazing. Mm -hmm. and I think of things like that. Obviously that's a larger scale on the smaller scale. I mean, I have to give credit to the product and it's, they went after their target market and they were very successful. White Claw, what they did from the ground swell up amazing. Yeah. I mean, I have credit, obviously competition, we want to beat them, but I give also credit due to people that have done things that are amazing and, and they did something amazing. I look at other brands, Twisted Tea from in the alcohol industry from Sam Adams mm -hmm. has done an amazing job with their branding and marketing. I look at some of those in the alcohol industry In the non-alcohol industry. There's a lot. I, I think I had a short stint in the toy industry, believe it or not. And hmm. I look at for many, many years up until recently, because things are slowly changed, but Mattel did a really nice job with some of their toy lines. Obviously, Barbie's well-known, did extremely well, Hot Wheels. And then on the Hasbro side, you look at Monopoly. I mean, Monopoly's a staple probably in everybody's house still today in Yahtzee. But those, all those are brands that I've seen, not necessarily obviously just the beverage industry, that have had successful long-term success, but they've had really specific plans and they've stuck to those plans. And they've also learned to move those plans as times have changed. And like, you know, things like, you know, the classic, you know, master's program examples of like Timex Watch or Schwinn, who mm -hmm. felt they owned the market, really did move with the time. Sorry, that was a long answer. Not quite lightning, but we got a lot of cool brands out of you. Favorite podcast? Don't have a favorite podcast. I read a lot. Okay. What is your favorite book? I got three. Darren Hardy, The Compound Effect. Michael Gerber, The E-Myth, and Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Reading that one right now. What is your favorite social media channel? I like, personally, Instagram. Me too. What is your favorite newsletter, if you read them? I do, and because I'm a, a homer to the industry, it's probably Beer Business Daily and Beer Marketer Insights, those two. Are because you going to... Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Favorite event you're planning on going to this year? 
work-related or non-work-related? Either. <laughs> I am looking forward to going out to Vegas because I've never been, and it's not necessarily my type of music, to see what this experience about EDC is. So EDC mm. Vegas is a massive three-day concert festival and draws, I think, 500,000 people. And not my type of music, but I'd like to see the experience one day. Maybe I'll probably be the guy that leaves at 10 o'clock at night. But uh, from a business work-related, because we sell a lot of that, product there, and I want to see what it's all about. That and, sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's Phil, a, those experiences once in a while. I think it will be a once-in-a-lifetime experience for you, for sure. Yeah. Where can our listeners connect with you? LinkedIn is good. I get a lot of connections on LinkedIn. I think that's the best way and the easiest way to contact me. And that way I usually respond to LinkedIn a couple times a week. And I think that's the best way if people have questions that they can reach out and reference this call. Yeah, I think that's the best way. Perfect. Phil, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. This was so insightful. Well, thank you. I had fun and I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. If you liked this podcast, follow me and the bridge page on LinkedIn and Twitter for hot takes and tactical advice. If you really love today's episode, we'd love a review on the podcasting platform of your choice, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for listening.